0: You are listening to the Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode number sixty-five. Today, I'm joined by Sean Tooten, and this is going to be a fabulous episode. We haven't even worked out really what we're going to be talking about yet today, other than we might talk about the lows and um, and see where that takes us. So, welcome to the show today, Sean.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: I've spent the last year and a half watching you online, and I first met you online. We haven't met in person, but I feel like I know you so well from spending so much time in your online classes. And there's so much, so much information that you've had to share, and such a broad background of just rich experiences that you bring to your Chinese medicine practice. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you got into Chinese medicine and, um, you know, what, what brought you to become a Chinese medicine practitioner?
1: Uh, happy to, it's a crazy story. I was in my former life when I was a kid, I was a pretty serious musician. And so I went to college for, uh, as a music performance major, there's no other good way to tell the story. So I just got to tell the whole thing. Um, And I heard on the radio one day um, something I'd never heard before. It's Mbira, M-B-I-R-A. It's um, indigenous music from southern Africa. It's played on an instrument kind of called a thumb piano in in the West. But uh, to make a long story short, I heard Mbira on the radio and I lost my mind and decided I had to learn how to play it immediately. And I dropped out of college and moved to Zimbabwe and um, tracked down some mbira players to teach me how to play this thing in the middle of nowhere. Um, but that was at a time when official stats were hard to get, but it was, it was in the area of like 60 you know, to 80% of working age adults, you know, 20 to 50 years old had HIV in Zimbabwe. And it was just, you know, I had friends that died in the year that I was there. Um, my teachers have since died um, and so when I came back from that experience, I really wanted to do something and I didn't know what I was pretty young. I talked to a couple of friends and colleagues who were kind of studying and I didn't really know anything about Chinese medicine, to be honest with you, but I, but I had been studying Ayurveda and herbal medicine. And it was one of the few licenses that you could get to practice herbal medicine legally in the States. And that's what did it. So I, I enrolled in, uh, school and started a nonprofit organization basically at the same time. Um, and so while I was going to school, I was building this nonprofit in Zimbabwe and my partner and I, my business partner and I ran it for almost 10 years, um, working with local NGOs and acupuncture and herbal medicine and, um, anything else that we, we could think of. And it was a good project. I was pleased with with the work we did, um, but I think probably it's more lasting impact is we it inspired a bunch of other similar type groups that we consulted with when we were first starting out. So now there's a number of these kind of organizations that do similar type work, whereas when we started, there was really nobody doing it. So I'm very proud of that. And then it just, then you blink and it's 20 years later and you've been doing this for two decades. I mean, that's you know, that's, that's, that's how I ended up here.
0: And you've lost yourself in the medicine ever since.
1: Yeah, it works for me on a number of levels. I mean, it's it's really beautiful, inspiring, powerful, life-changing work. And it's it's a real honor to kind of bear witness to people during their healing, during their process, watching them kind of go through it and come out the other end. Truthfully, it's really one of the great honors of my life. But it's also a really, really fascinating, endless infinitely complex system. And I love trying to figure out systems. I don't ever get bored. And to this day, 20 years in, I'm still working it out, figuring it out for me, that's really part of the great fun of practicing is just, you know, when you struggle and struggle and struggle with it and you're grappling with it and trying to make sense out of it and, and, and ingesting it and having it be in your body and in your cells, you know, and then something falls into place and it just opens everything up and, and your treatments get better and, you know, you get more confident. It's really just a it's a joy. I mean, it's really, I think an honor to do this work myself. Um, I think we're pretty lucky to, to get to do this on a daily basis for work, you know? Um, so I really, I love it. I mean, I'm sure you feel similarly about it.
0: Oh, I mean, it's, you know, it really brings, really brings home for me when people say, do what you love for a living and you'll never work a day in your life. And that's exactly how I feel about my career, you know, as a Chinese medicine practitioner and and working with people they they come seeking help they come seeking guidance and support and comfort you know they're in distress and we get to walk alongside them through that journey of transformation or healing for however long it is that they choose to spend with us and it's so it's such an honor to witness their their transformations and their and their challenges and just the humanity of it all and it's there's so much that's reflected in that clinical relationship with our patients it transforms us as well which i think is a really it's a really cool thing because there's something that happens inside well for me this is my experience but there's something that happens inside me when i observe and witness and share time in clinic with patients who some of them are right at the edge of their limits of what they can handle and some of them have yep. even picked beyond that. And they're, they're just like, I don't even know what this is. This is the abyss of something. Um, and to see them come from from these places of desperation to just feeling such joy and, you know, to be happy to be themselves again. It's really quite something. I don't even know that there's a word that does it justice.
1: It's quite profound. And it's really, it's such an intimate and a special space, I think, that's created, if you're doing it right between practitioner and patient, it never ceases to amaze me. And I work with all ages. So the kids are really especially fun for me in my practice. You know, as adults, we may not be great at it. I mean, shoot, I'm, you know, I have hard days like anybody, right? But we, but we have some tools, you know, that we've learned and the kids just don't, haven't really picked that up yet, you know? So it's really raw. And when they struggle, they really struggle, you know? And to to kind of hold that space and, you know, watch them sort of blossom. I just find, so I just, I'm ne- I never get tired of it, you know, and I've got patients that come back, you know, these kids that I started treating when they were like 10, you know, and now they're 25 years old and they swing by just to say hi and that, you know, thank me again and stuff. It's, I mean, that'll make your day, you know, it's an honor. It really is. It's such a, it's really a gift. It's I feel very lucky just like you do I feel the same way I just feel like oh, what a blessing this is to be able to do this on a daily basis
0: yeah yeah totally and and also at the same time you know chinese medicine is such a massive it's such a massive framework of history and different treatment approaches and different philosophies and it just feels so impossible to Ever feel like you're even going to know five percent of it all. and that can sometimes feel so humbling as a practitioner that you know for myself I've been I've been in practice for I think this is my 18th year in clinic. and sometimes I still feel like such a newbie and <laughs> I'm just like you know, which is fabulous and also quite terrifying sometimes because it's just not possible to know it all. You you'd oh, sp- you'd spend your whole time just with your head in books and talking to people and, and then you would have no time to practice on patients.
1: Yeah. It's humbling. I mean, to say the least practicing medicine is humbling, <laughs> you know, cause it's so, it's so vast. It's just so vast. And, and I feel like that all the time. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm 20 years in and i still to this day. I mean, I think the only thing you pick up from, from that is some degree of confidence, you know, that you, that you'll be able to figure it out or that you can find a pathway forward, you know, for your patient. But there has never been a day in 20 years where I've gone in thinking like, Oh, I got this all figured out. That's, that's just not a, that's not a place that you come from in practicing medicine. I think, I, I, I think it's too big. I think it's too complex you know, when we're honest with ourselves, we don't really even know how the body works yet. You know, we're still trying to figure that out, much less how to treat everything. So you you have to, I find I have to go back and, and remind myself to be compassionate and that there's a reason why they call it practicing medicine.
0: Yeah, it's not called nailing it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's the right. It's not called like, you know, nailed it, nailing medicine. <laughs> it just, it just isn't. But isn't it a, I mean, I don't know about you. I find it a very, very dynamic An exciting place to be when you have enough confidence that you feel like you can you can find your way with a patient, but you always have to be on your toes, you know, and you always have to be humble, and you always have to really listen, and you always have to really pay attention. And it forces me, at least, to I mean, practicing is it? It's a meditative practice for me. I mean, that's that's one of my favorite things about going to work honestly is is you know you just get in this really meditative space i don't know it's just a wonder i mean really you know it's i I, i'm still amazed i still get amazed all the time that that it that it works as well as it does i mean it does not there is not a day that goes by that i don't think to myself i stick needles in people for a living that's my job (laughs) (laughs) like how bizarre you know where, where did that ever come from? And now it's old hat, you know, but but every day it still occurs to me like this is this is so weird. I, I, it's so know, crazy it's, I, it's so crazy and
0: and it you know when you have that that perspective, when you kind of take that step back, then it it totally it totally makes sense when you meet people for the first time that don't have an experience of Chinese medicine. They're like, you stick needles in people. And that's your job? Like, does that yeah. even work?
1: <laughs> right.
0: You know, like it and if you've never heard of acupuncture or you don't know anything about it, of course that's a legitimate question. But for someone oh. who's been practicing for, for 20 years, when people are like, Well, does it even work? It's like, well. I don't know. Like, what have I been doing for the last 20 years?
1: Right. I I would like to think so. I've been doing it for the last 20 years of my life. (laughs) I think if it didn't work, I would have given up a while back, you know? I mean, it's so fascinating because it kind of bridges. I mean, there's a real, there's obviously a very medical element to it, but there's a shamanic element to it. There's a, there's an energetic element to it. There's a loosely, I would say there's a, 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 quote unquote spiritual element to it. Um, you know, in terms of the fact that we're kind of always paying attention to the 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 whole person, the spirit, you know, the emotions. It's so vast and endless and and fascinating on all levels you know i mean you've you've listened to me for a year you know i you you know me i can go on and on and on and on and not shut up if if people give me (laughs) a chance you're a great guest
0: for a podcast i just
1: talk (laughs) about it for ages you know because i i just think it's so beautiful such beautiful medicine and i'm certain you have the same experience right we I, i usually end up with all the patients that have been through everything else Right. This didn't work. That didn't work. They saw this specialist, that specialist. They flew halfway around the world, you know, and they and a lot of times they just kind of gave up and there's no other. They have nothing else to do. So they end up at our doorstep, which is great. Those are the people I want to, you know, I like hard cases. I like intractable cases that nobody else can get anywhere with. I I don't I don't think it's me, but I think the the work, the process, you know, the, the the medicine. Changes people's lives unquestionably, for you know, dramatically, and sometimes like overnight, never ceases to amaze me.
0: Really, it's it's pretty incredible, and and I and I have to share with the audience, you know, since starting doing your online course, and you know, you're sharing the teachings of Jeffrey Un, and you've learned. You've spent um, time learning from Anne Cecil Sturman as well, and you've been teaching us about the complement channels and um, and I've been implementing that in my practice with my patients. And I have to say that in all my years of practice, it is one of the most profound things that I have that I've done. It's one of the one of the most profound CPD learnings. That I've experienced, and just the amazing changes that I've seen with my patients in clinic just from doing the lows, just yeah. from doing low treatments. Uh, it's it really just astounds me. Like how did I how did I ever get any results with my patients without doing this stuff? And of course, you can because um, yeah, there's there's lots of different styles and and lots of different um, ways that we can support our patients, um, and I think it you know, I think me learning about the lows coincided, you know, the timing was really great alongside everything that's been happening with, in the world with this virus and vaccinations and all of that kind of stuff. The the lows have really been a great support for my patients um, during that time. And, um, but from my understanding, that was not your first flavor of Chinese medicine that you kind of focused on and, and practiced in?
1: No, I had the same, I had the same, I mean, it sounds like I kind of had the same experience that you did. I mean, my experience with this was, um, you know, I like to, I like to figure out systems. I like to work really hard, you know, sometimes to the point of being a bit of a workaholic, but I, I like pouring myself into it. And so I was trying to, you know, reading everything I could get my hands on, and asking every question of every person that I could find, trying to kind of make sense out of all of this. You know, when I f- first started learning it, and I ended up studying with a Japanese teacher who I quite like and have a lot of respect for, because he was one of the few people that I could find that could answer my questions in a way that made any sense. If I'm be- if I'm being completely honest, but I continued to sort of struggle with it, and in, and in my mind, you know, when I think about this, it was like. I was sort of playing this weird game of Tetris and I sort of had all the pieces, but I couldn't figure out how to, you know, fit them in, in their places. You know, when I really encountered Jeffrey's work and Anne in particular, you know, her teaching, I mean, I, I truly think Anne is, you know, a a real gift to Chinese medicine, honestly, because I, I don't, I don't think anybody else has ever sort of distilled and digested Jeffrey's work in the same way that she has, but she turned a key. You know, she just turned a key and it's like all of that struggle of literally 10 years of trying to figure this out, you know, it, for, for me, it really it felt like it just fell into place pretty much overnight you know, and, uh, which I will be forever grateful for, but sure. You, you know, I say it all the time in class, right. Even if you're struggling with this new stuff, it's like, you've changed people's lives. They've come to you. You've given good treatments, you, you know, so it's not like none of that work wasn't valuable, but boy, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's nothing like this. I mean, it's just, this is a whole different level and what I'm able to address and how I feel like I'm able to, to see and acknowledge the person and the humanity in front of me and make such, to my mind, better decisions about how to intervene in such a way that it relieves some of the pressure on them. And that's what all, that's what the lows ultimately are about. You're stuck, you you know, and everybody gets stuck and everybody gets stuck a lot, you know, over and over and over again, because look, I, I think life's pretty great, but I don't think it's pretty easy, you know, Um, it's
0: unrelenting. It just keeps coming.
1: Yeah. That's one of the best interventions that I found. And it's so simple, but it's so effective. It's basically like lifting up your head and kind of looking out to the horizon a little bit, just seeing a new vantage point, new potential, new possibility. Maybe, you know, maybe I switch my thinking around this, but opening people up to potential and unblocking the places in their lives where they just got stuck. And that can happen due to, you know, fear from a terrifying diagnosis or, you know, because finances are hard and you can't move beyond whatever you're doing or you get stuck in a job or you get stuck in a relationship or you get, I mean, there's any, you know, there's a million reasons why we all kind of run into these walls. And the lows just, it feels to me like giving people a new lease on life, you know, it's really miraculous medicine. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? I'll never forget because my dad didn't think very highly of any of this medicine. (laughs) And, uh, and, uh, and I remember him sort of shaking his head at me and just going, Well, at least you don't bleed people. I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Actually, fact to, check
0: on that one, Dad.
1: <laughs> I hate to disappoint you, Dad, but actually, I do pretty much all day, every day. He's like, Well, I mean, at least you don't use leeches. I was like, mm, Well, <laughs> That is actually an herb. I use it pretty regularly. You know, I mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> poor folks who are trying to make sense out of what we do. But yeah, it's. I'll tell you, I never thought I'd be, you know, sticking lancets in people and bleeding them for a living. But turns out it's best for me and them. So keep doing <laughs> I Keep doing it.
0: Yeah. There's a bunch of people who are listening who have got, you know, some experience and knowledge of the low vessels from you know, from the Jeffrey Yuan classical understanding. And there's also a bunch of people who are listening who are like, yeah, I know where the low points are. And that might be where the limit of their understanding is. What would be your elevator pitch (laughs) explanation of what are the low vessels for? What do they do? How do you use them in clinic?
1: Oh, it's really, that's a great question. It's really simple. Look in your Chinese medical textbooks. This always drove me crazy, right? You look up a point in one of the textbooks and it tells you it does 18 million different things. And you think to yourself, well, how can this one point do all of these different things and what they neglect to mention? And I don't understand why is that, you know, it has to do with technique. It's not, you can't just stick a needle in that point and decide it's going to do whichever one of those 27 things you want it to do. It's how you treat the point. So whether you need it shallowly or Deeply and which direction you rotated, and you know, which direction you needle in, in relationship to the flow of the channel, and on and on and on and on. But for low points, the answer is really, really simple. All of the emotional indications that are given for any low point, those don't work clinically unless you bleed the point. That's the key, you know, and nobody is taught that, which I think is just a crime. <laughs> you know, because they simply do not have those energetics. That is a function of bleeding. Now, just, you know, because people, I don't know what they, you know, they can have some picture in their mind. We're not talking about draining blood. We're talking about a little Lancet and, and some a few drops of blood out of a point, but that blood contains that emotion. You know, we, we imprint our emotion and memory onto blood. Emotion and memory is yang. It doesn't have substance. It's ethereal. You can't hold on to it. You can't touch it. It needs yin. Everything needs both yin and yang, right? So that emotion, that memory gets imprinted on the blood and it's stuck there circulating through the primary channel system. So you come back to it every day. I don't like myself. I don't like how I look. I don't like, you know, my body. I don't like my job. I don't like my life. I don't like my whatever. Right. And just every day. Well, if you bleed that out of the low point, you literally release that stagnation. Now they might come back to the same place. They might still not like how they look and not like their job, but at least they have a fair shake. You know, we've, we've taken off sort of one layer you know of this accumulation like a film over your eyes that's not letting you see clearly not letting you see the truth not letting you see that potential and you clear that out and then people have a chance to rewire themselves, essentially. I mean, what it is, is basically neuro, neuroplasticity training. I mean, you know, tr- teaching the mind how to, you know, how to build new pathways, right? New circuits. For anybody who's listening, who's never done a low treatment. I mean, the simplest treatment is, you know, bleed the low point. You don't even have to do all this other stuff. I mean, it's, it's well worth learning. It makes a huge difference. It will improve your practice dramatically if you do, but if you just bleed the low point itself, I promise you, you'll see dramatic changes with all kinds of mental health conditions. And just because I'm a perfectionist, you'd, ha- you'd have to do it on the opposite side from, this, from the pulse, from the side that you take the pulse on. So if you, take the, if you find the pulse on the right side, like the lung or the spleen or the pericardium, you bleed the low point opposite side, just a warning to anybody who hasn't done this before. I have, I have to, um,
0: and in this system, the, the right-hand side chair pulse is triple heater and pericardium and the left left hand side chirp pulse is kidney and bladder.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they're really the same. I mean, all, all that is, is semantics. You know, when we talk about kidney Yang on the right, you're talking kidney Yang is expressed in this world, in this iteration via the San Jiao. It's the San Jiao that's moving that Yuan Qi through the system. So it's not really different. Um, It's, it's really just how it's described. Um, But yeah, you just look opposite the side of the pulse, bleed that, you know, get a couple of drops of blood. Usually it'll be pretty dark. You know, you're looking for a, you're looking for signs of blood stasis. You're looking for spider veins or, you know, darker skin or something to indicate that the blood is static. Um, but, you know, this is the kind of stuff that blew the roof off when I finally understood this, you know, when we're talking about blood stasis, we are talking about static blood being held in low vessel networks. That's what blood stasis is. It's not just blood. that's sitting in your primary channel, not circulating. That doesn't happen. <laughs> I mean, unless you got an embolism or something. Um that's that's what we're talking about.
0: This stagnant blood it's like it's sitting there. It's it, it's visible. It's it's there in you know in the low channels or the body's even just made extra parking space for all of this extra you know unprocessed emotion and life experience that hey we're just going to park this and come back to it later but there's no real access to the blood substance and so even in a patient who would present as blood deficient sometimes you can help the the body to get better quality and more blood happening once you get rid of that the stagnant blood from the lows
1: yeah cuz it undermines the i mean i you know the spleen and the stomach are the source of postnatal life right so if you're going through your life and you keep running into the same emotional stasis and blood stasis and emotional stasis or spiritual Stagnation are all synonymous. They all mean the same. They are one and the same. It's not only that you, you know, you've run into these walls, but then the spleen and stomach lose a little bit of their inspiration to make more resources. Why bother? What difference does it make? We keep running into the same thing, right? So if you allow some of that out, and create space for it, and there's new potential, and there's new openness, and there's new possibility, then the spleen and stomach kick in in response to that and make more blood as a result. So it's the you know it's the same idea as Tao Hong Suo right? Invigorate blood in order to nourish blood. And this is the same idea, but it's frankly just better than, than Tao Hong I well, mean quick. I don't it's immediate. It's it happens so, It's of... so powerful, you know? Yeah. Even just you do one. And I had a patient the other day really you know kind of sensitive. It was a new patient. I didn't want to do too much. I'm always Barely sort of reserved with the first patient. I just want to see how they respond. I don't want to overdo it with them. I did one, cha- you know, one low vessel and I didn't even do the whole trajectory. I just bled the point, put in the blood regulating point, did some moxa, did a little gua sha came back the next week was like, I don't know what I've never had a treatment like that. No one's ever done that to me before. I don't know what it is you're doing, but whatever that was, it was incredible. Like I had one of the best weeks I can remember in my life. Recent life, yeah, slow vessels. I mean, it's it has nothing to do with me, right? So that's why I feel so I I'm just so exuberant when I talk about it because if I thought it had anything to do with me, I'd be different. But I know full well it doesn't, you know. So it's just this incredible, amazing medicine that I get to perform for people. You know, it's it's shocking. It's just beautiful. It's really such potent,
0: yeah. Yeah. And
1: how long? How long had you? Was this your first, was my class your first introduction to the to the lows or had you studied them a little bit beforehand?
0: I had a mentor around about 10 years ago who was very big on just looking for low vessels on the feet and around the ankles. And, mm-hmm. and their advice was just bleed it, just like get rid of it because it's, it's stagnant blood. And that, even doing that without doing the low point first, to you know, part of telling the body, hey, we're doing a low treatment, but just, just doing those vessels had great effects. And I had some, trans, some, some great patient outcomes from doing that. Then Anne's book came out and I remember reading Anne's book from cover to cover and just going, oh my goodness, this is the best book ever. This is the red advanced acupuncture book and just going, oh, this is just so awesome. And, um I actually had Anne on um on the podcast a few years ago and and she very gently said to me hey if you want to do a low treatment you actually have to do the low point first to tell the body hey we're going to do a low treatment and um and so I started doing that and noticed that things got even better but I still wasn't quite I didn't have enough of the context and the framework because you know anyone who's got that Red book, the um Anne's book. It's it's much more of a how-to book rather than a why book. Yeah. Um yep. and so your class has been kind of like the final piece of the puzzle for me of like, oh wow, okay, yeah, now I get it. Now I really get it. Um and yeah, it's it's really just created a whole new level above in um in terms of just outcomes for my patients. You know, I'm noticing really cool things like, you know, and I'm probably bleeding people who I never would have bled before um, and oh. having a lot more confidence and being guided by the pulse. And sometimes just feeling someone's pulse literally come to life, you know, after doing their lows and sometimes bleeding the low point, there'll just be this tiny little fleck of blood. And I think, okay, well, that's, you know, that's enough. The blood has met the air and and we know that there's an exit point there. And find another few points along the trajectory and, and bleed those. And there might be a couple of little drops that'll come out, but then all of a sudden there'll be like one point that I'll bleed and then all of the points before just kind of go, oh. <laughs> and there's like a whole bunch of blood that comes out and you kind of got to be ready with, yep. with tissues or cotton balls or whatever. And um, and it's really quite, you know, that's, that's when I've really become aware of the power of these low treatments, because something is happening. You know, something is happening where it's kind of like an invitation to the person's body as if to say, hey, there's an opportunity here for you to let go of some of this stuff. And the body's like, mm, yeah, maybe. And then there's kind of like this culminating point or, you know, something that happens. And then the body's like, okay, yep, we're going to, we're yep. going gonna to dump this now. Ah. Oh it's like it's it's so palpable in the clinic energetically and um yeah so this the whole journey of me through bleeding people has really evolved quite a lot in the last 10 years and it's um it's been been quite an amazing process to be on um on the practitioner side of
1: It's remarkable I have the same exact same experience in fact I just had the same thing happen I don't know, two days ago, but you start off and you can't get, not not much blood will kind of come and you work up the channel a little bit and you get a few more points and you're sort of not paying attention. And then you look back at the point that wasn't bleeding at all, you know, and there's just a pool. You know, like, Whoops. Okay. <laughs> Clean that up. But, uh, Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because, or when you were talking about bleeding without the low point, you know, if you don't needle the low, if you don't bleed the low point first, you're essentially asking the sinews to do the work of the low vessel network, right? You're You're bleeding out stagnant blood that's stuck down at the low yin level, but it's, but you're asking the body to push it out through the musculature, through the skin, through the sinew level, because you didn't Open a a low point. So it's not that it doesn't come out, but it definitely does function a little bit differently. I find what you end up doing is sort of more clearing heat than you really do end up releasing that spirit stagnation, that blood stagnation. You know, that was one of those things that for me, I was just so desperate for somebody to tell me something about Chinese medicine that was actually true, because I don't know what your experience was. But I mean, it sounds like we went to school about the same time. And, you know, when I was going to school, there were not very many people around who had any idea what they were talking about. I mean, they just there were not books didn't make a whole lot of sense. And a lot of the teachers didn't make a whole lot of sense. And you'd ask questions, and no one would give you a decent answer. And I got so frustrated, it kind of felt like it was like the blind leading the blind. And then you run into Jeffrey and Anne, who just put this in this context, it's like it all falls into place and it all makes sense. And you can see the whole picture. And uh, and that's what I found kind of so thrilling about it. And then I just immediately, it's always, I love teaching. I mean, that's probably my favorite thing to do, honestly. And uh, so, I mean, I immediately wanted to teach it because if there's one thing I know for sure, it's that you don't know anything until you've had to try to explain it to somebody else. And if you can't, then you don't know it. <laughs> you know. And I heard somebody, Oh, I heard a great Einstein quote the other day, which was that if you can't explain, if you can't explain it to a six year old kid, then you don't understand it yourself. And I thought that was so profound and true. And I'm still struggling with it. You know, I'd love, I, I can't wait for the day when I feel like I could teach this to a really competently teach this to a six year old. Cause it's, you know, it's, it's hard to teach it.
0: Oh, I, I have an eight-year-old who keeps me very honest. You know, she, yeah. asked me, she asked me the other day, what is nourishment made out of? Right. And I'm like, well, that's a great question.
1: I'll keep you um, on your toes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do yeah. I really know? Let's find out.
0: <laughs> well, you know, and it's the answer that came out of me even surprised me. <laughs> but. You know, I, I thought, wow, what what is nourishment? It's kind of like a feeling. It's you know, and I was trying to explain. You know, she's got some kind of understanding of what chi is, and sure. uh, and you know what spirit is, as opposed to like tangible physical things. But uh, yeah, those kids they'll <laughs> they'll they'll definitely ask the hard questions, the seemingly no. obvious questions, but they're hard to right.
1: answer exactly when they ask you realize oh maybe i need to refine my thinking around this because you know it's yeah it's hard to put in the world i'll never forget this i think he was like four or five and i was trying to explain chi to him and he was just get looking at me and and uh, his mom is also an acupuncturist and he just looked at me and then he looked at her and he's like i can't believe you people believe in this stuff that's <laughs> <was> a five-year-old <laughs> Yeah, give it time. You might change your you might change your tune, little guy. But, <laughs> I mean, that's I always found that to be a struggle with trying to explain chi in the first place because it's it sounds like you're a lunatic. It sounds like you're talking about magical, you know, fairy tale energy. And I just I tend to I I fall back on, you know, when people say they've run out of steam. You know, what does what does that mean? If you you use that expression, you've run out of steam. It means you're deflated. It means there's nothing like propelling you. There's nothing filling you up. There's, you know, it's like one of those weird blow up guys in car dealer lots, you know, they're, they're just totally deflated. Right. And you put air back in them and they come back to life. Well, that's, that's what chi is, is that steam, that pressure, that life, that energy, that breath, you know, that, that keeps going. But I think about this all the time. Like, I don't think that occurred to me till maybe six or eight years into this. I was still thinking some mumbo jumbo, you know, some kind of weird new age thing that uh, somehow other people, you know, people who did Tai Chi all the time knew about, but didn't, didn't relate to regular people. And it's like, that's what I think is so special about Chinese medicine is that it's, it's a medicine of reality. It's a medicine of observation. It's a medicine of life. It's a medicine of nature. It's based on, reality. It's based on human experience. It's, it's not divorced from that, you know? And so we can practice a medicine that, yeah, I can, you know, I can help your, your ankle or your, whatever, you hurt yourself or some injury. Right. But I, I just, I find it so important to remember in clinic that these are, all of us are human beings having a human experience. It's complex. It's complicated, you know, with all these kinds of different things, or you look at addiction, medicine or addiction science. Like, well, people are addicted to this stuff. Yeah, but why? What, like, why are they addicted? What are they actually really trying to get from it? Is it just that substance that they need in their lives? I don't believe that. There's a reason why we do these various things, you know? And if you get to that level, the amount of change that you can help people with is exponential, You know, rather than just kind of putting a bandaid on it's like somebody who's a heroin addict and you give them methadone like that's fine I get it I see the need for it I'm not right I understand but you can't tell me that that's an answer that's not a treatment you know there's a reason behind that and that's what Chinese medicine excels at I especially the lows. Because I think everything is emotional. You know, we we do things for emotional reasons. We're emotional creatures. Every choice we make all day long, whether you're going to slow down or speed up or how much time you have with your kids or what you're going to spend your time doing, every single choice you make, why you eat what you eat. I'm going to let myself have this, you know, sugar for lunch because I'm stressed or anxious or down or tired, right? Those are all emotional responses. It's not that sugar is not the problem. It's the emotional experience of being human. That's the challenge. And when you start to work with that and you can see some of that pressure just lift off people, you know, so that they, it's like, they have a fighting chance. They just, they have the potential, you know, to become this sort of evolved version of themselves. I mean, that just to me, it's an honor and it's a joy to watch and it's really special. It's really, it's really special medicine that way, you know, and I, the lows are usually at the heart of it for me. Cause that's where I think where most of us are coming from. I think that's the reason we do the things we do is because they have some emotional meaning for us. And well, you free that up and, you know, you've seen it, it changes people's lives. It's spectacular.
0: Yeah, it gives people so much space and it just gives them options to to be different, you know, to kind of reinvent themselves in in a different way. Or as we see sometimes, they reinvent themselves in almost the same way and we just have to keep chipping away at it so that they've got those multiple opportunities to kind of reprogram how they're in a landscape is.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like anything else. You do things a hundred times the same way. You're gonna, that's what you're going to fall back on, you know. And I, I don't find this particularly hard because I'm human too. And I, so I get it. But you, you definitely have to have a lot of compassion for people. Because sometimes it takes a long time, you know, and sometimes people don't get there at all and that's okay too, but they have the potential to, and even if they kind of, I even find, you know, that if people kind of end up sort of back in their ruts, you know, or making the same kind of old decisions, even the, the reality that they kind of questioned it for a second, you know, that they let themselves kind of think, well, maybe it is possible, or maybe I could do something different, or maybe I don't have to be beholden to, you know, whatever it is for the rest of my life. I think that's can be really pretty potent stuff because we forget. We see people for however long and then we don't we often don't see them again. You know, so you have no idea what direction life took them in and and but a few of those people have come back, few people I barely even remembered. You know, like I, we had so few treatments together, it's like it wasn't a big part of my mental history of my practice. And then they'll write me a note or call or email after 10 years or something and just say, you know, I just wanted to thank you because the work we did together was like transformative and it changed my life. And I'm thinking, I, I don't remember what we did. You know, you came in three times. It was 15 years ago. But, Before I um, even knew the cool stuff. Right. Exactly. And that's. <laughs> that's
0: the reaffirming stuff. Yeah.
1: It's just keep working hard and remaining humble. And you, you never know. You just never, you never really know. But I, it, it's, it's endless to me. It's It's so fun to do. I even like doing it on myself now. I used to hate doing it, but now I'm one of my patients who's like, "You didn't bleed me, get it?" So I'm not leaving until you do. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah, it's really it's it's pretty amazing stuff.
0: Yeah, I wanted to circle back to um, a comment that you made earlier about back when you and I learned, you know, around the time that we were at school, and then you know we were new graduates and we're out in practice, kind of like I don't know what I'm really doing here and you know you we'd had a decent enough grounding in acupuncture to be mostly effective for most people you know something that was an experience for me in in my first oh, at least probably 5 years in clinic maybe even longer was it was quite a a frequent question that would come up for me internally you know am i doing a good job am i you know what am i doing here am i you know who am i to be treating these people am i even doing anything am i just sticking needles in people and you know is it okay that that i'm not entirely sure on what's happening here or i don't have the confidence yet um, cuz i know that there's lots of students and fresh graduates who are listening to this episode right now and i wonder you know could you share something about that about your experience and, and maybe what's your reflection on that now?
1: I relate to, and, you know, sympathize with all of that. Um, cause I, I obviously experienced it myself. I'm a little bit, I feel like I'm, I'm lucky. I'm, I've basically uh, my whole life kind of been a jump in first kind of guy and, fi- you know, figure it out later. There's something to starting a a medical practice out at, you you know, year one when you're straight out of school. I mean, it takes a little bit of nerve. It takes some degree of confidence that, you know, I've taught a long time and some people don't have. And it is a challenge for them. And I've seen it, you know, and it takes it can often take kind of take them a little bit longer to sort of get comfortable with it and, and and get started. But I'll tell you, and I I will absolutely stand by this to this day as the way that I can keep working, you know, for 20 years, because it is hard and it is a lot of responsibility and it is, can be kind of weighty, but I always just fall back on a couple of core principles. One of them is work really hard, you know, don't slack on it, struggle with it, grapple with it, wrestle with it, try to figure it out, try to make sense of it, you know, and ask, and and if people give you nonsensical answers that don't make any sense, then go find somebody else, you know, and keep like working with it until it really settles into your cellular level, you know, when it's in your bones, when it's really in in your body. That's your responsibility, I think, as the practitioner. That's that's the responsibility of the practitioner to work with that within themselves. But uh, if you've really truly done that, and secondly, if you are working with people from a place of genuine love, I would say, and compassion and empathy for the human experience, which, you know, like we all know sometimes is transcendent and other days is just an absolute nightmare, then you really can't go wrong. I mean, if you're coming from those two places, you're really, really struggling with it to the best of your ability to make sense out of it, to formulate treatments that are appropriate, that feel right, that address what your patients need, you work really hard at that and you come from a place of, you know, with a good heart and a lot of compassion, then I I really think you can go home and sleep, sleep okay at night because there is simply nothing else to be said. And I get it. Trust me. I'm an, I, I'm an anxious person. I angst about things. I worry about stuff, you know, gotten better, but I'm still totally an anxious person. So I understand it. I get it what else are you going to do as a human being, right? You've done your best and you've worked from a good place and you've come from your heart. You are working for the highest, best interest of your patient. That's your goal. Then you can't lose. What, you really can't lose. What, what else are you going to do? That's the best we can do. And I remind students all the time, the best surgeons in the world lose half their patients. Oh, they lose patients all the time. You know, the best cancer care centers in the entire world lose patients all the time. Jeffrey Wynn loses patients all the time. Medicine is hard. <laughs> There's just, there, there is no way around it. And there is no God in medicine. That's beyond us. The God in nature heal. We're just tools. We just help the process along. That's all you can do. You know, you, I'm sure you've experienced, I'm sure everybody's experienced this, right? I certainly have, where you think like, uh, I don't know, I'm not sure how that went. And I'm not sure if I did the right thing and what, blah, 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 blah. And then they come back and they're like, you changed my life. Well, okay. You know? And then there's, I mean, on the flip side, there's treatments where I think like, I am killing this. I, like, I got this one, you know, like nailed it. <laughs> absolutely nailed it, you know? And then your next week you're like, nope. no, I didn't. <laughs> Not at all. Okay. Back to the drawing board. You start over, right? And you got to recenter and you're like, I'm doing this for the very, very highest interests of my patients. Boy, I tell you, you do those things and I don't know what else you could do. I, I don't think there is anything else you can do. You You have to kind of go easy on yourself a little bit because life is what it is and nobody's perfect. And I'm frankly, a little bit of a medical nihilist when it comes right down to it you know, really what we're doing is sort of helping people through the struggles. There's no end. There's no, you don't hit some place where you're like, oh, I've, I'm healed. That doesn't happen. That's not a thing. Cause you keep, unless you're dead, if you keep living, then we keep healing. That's how, that's, I think they're kind of synonymous with each other almost, you know? So there's no end point, you know, and you, you're just helping people through, you know, really tough patches in their lives. That's the honor of it. They come to you at their worst. You know, when they're like, don't know what else to do. Think about what an honor that is, you know, for another person to kind of offer themselves into your hands in that point in their life. I mean, I take that very, very seriously as a practitioner, you know, that trust that they've put in me, that responsibility that I have to to hold that space for them. I think that's a really beautiful and spiritual and remarkable experience to have with another human being. I value it a great deal and I take it very seriously, but you're going to screw up. I mean, that's, you know, you can't be breathing and think you're not going to make mistakes. That's uh, th- those two things are incompatible. If you're here, you're going to make mistakes. So, you know, give yourself a break. What are you going to do? You just, you own it and you continue to work hard and you move on, you know, and you, and you learn from it.
0: Right. We're just one influence in our patients' lives. They, they might spend half an hour, maybe an hour with us. And the whole rest of their week, they're out, you know, life's coming at them and other people in their life are right up in their face and, you know, all kinds of stuff's going wrong and, you know, stuff's also going right. And they're, you know, they're doing all kinds of the things that they do in their life. And we're just one piece of that puzzle. I think, you know, one thing that's made a big change for me is to just be really careful of the level of responsibility that I'm taking on and the types of things that I'm taking responsibility for and really just kind of staying in my lane as a practitioner. And, you know, I I do take responsibility for my acupuncture treatments and I take responsibility for my herbal prescriptions and my diet and lifestyle advice. And if people take that on or not, or if they... Do all kinds of other weird stuff. They might self-prescribe stuff. They might go out and, you know, eat fast food and stay up all night and do all kinds of stuff that's gonna potentially mess with what I've done. But I need to be mindful that I don't take responsibility for everything. And that also means not taking responsibility for successes that aren't mine as well. Like they could be doing other stuff. They could have had some kind of transformation that came from something that's totally unrelated to me. As well, and so reducing the amount of victory dances—I'm um, using air quotes here—that <laughs> you can't see, but you know, reducing the kind of victory dances that I'm taking, but also at the same time not taking on too much of the stuff that's not related to me. And at the same time, you know, using that data—if people are coming back, and they're like, "I had a really shit week, and I didn't take my herbs; they're disgusting, and I just spent all weekend in bed." And, you know, like all of these things that they're telling me, like that's, that's data that for me, that they need a different type of support than what I've offered to them that previous week. And so I'll shift things around and be like, okay, they need more support to be able to, and more resources to be able to, to heal. And I haven't quite nailed, you know, maybe my diagnosis is not quite right, or maybe the treatment that I've formulated based on my diagnosis wasn't quite right because it didn't. Didn't support them in the way that they needed to get that lift so that they could implement the things that I've asked of them.
1: Yeah. Boy, I'll tell you, that is all very wise to my ears, at least. And I try to remind my students all the time of the, of the same thing. You know, remember what it is that you're doing, right? We're doctors, and well, at least yeah, it depends on what your license is, but we're practitioners, <laughs> whatever. Uh, but we're not living their lives. You know, you can't take responsibility for that. You have your own. You know, I got my own problems. I, I got to deal with my stuff, right? You're there in a, in a supportive role. You're not doing their healing. They are doing their healing. You know, you're just kind of helping them along. And I couldn't agree more that, you know, and I point this out all the time too. And I think this this is one of those things that I try to teach and I don't think I do a very good job. I don't think it gets translated very well. Cause it's, it's sort of challenging concept, I guess, but you know, your patients are going to teach you more than anybody, but you have to pay attention, you know? And when we get in this mindset of like, either we're, we've got it all figured out. We know exactly, or we put p- patients in a box. We see a couple things and we, we diagnose them right away and kind of close off other potentials for things that we might've missed or things that might be a little more nuanced or subtle right? Then we're not seeing how they respond to the work. If we're not paying close attention to that and, and allowing that to clarify how we move forward with them, you know, then I think you're doing them a real disservice because the, the, you know, it always comes back to practicing, right? I mean, the key is like you do, you do the absolute most right thing you can come up with and then you see, and then you see what happens, but you have to, pay close attention. You have to adjust. You have to be open enough as the practitioner, you know, you have to be humble enough as the practitioner to, to get that feedback and allow it to transform you, you know? So it's a constant, you know, relationship with the patient that way. And that they're, you know, they're teaching you everything, you know, really. I mean, there are some days when I'm like, there are a handful of patients where I think to myself, you know, I probably should be paying you, you know, (laughs) right. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) Cause they teach you so much, you know? I mean, ultimately when it boils down to it, when you're just first starting out, I mean, I'd like to think if you're first starting out, you're so jazzed about it. You're just so, you know, you have so much excitement about it that you just go out and do it. That's how I was. I was just like anybody who will let me anywhere near them. I will treat you. Got it. I'll come to your house Saturday at 4am. You got it. I'm like, I just want to treat everybody. I want to get, you know, a ton of experience, but uh, a little bit of compassion for yourself too. You know, it's, you're, you're not going to feel that confident in all of this after two years of practice. It's, t- it takes a while. I mean, they say, you know, they, what do they say? T- takes 10 years of practice to, to become an expert of something. And I always like snort at those like, 10 years <laughs> I'm going on 20 here. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see any, you know, mastery of this anytime soon. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing I will still be learning about this, you know, on my deathbed, taking my own pulse to see what it feels like, you know? Uh, I absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think about that kind of stuff all the time. Just catch yourself a break. You know, we're all just doing our best.
0: Indeed, we that are. Really
1: boils down to that.
0: Such comforting words, such wise
1: words. It really is. Cause otherwise, I couldn't do it. You know, like you said, if I took all the responsibility for my patient's wellness on my bed, there's no way I couldn't, I wouldn't make it through a week. That's too much responsibility. And it's, you can't, that's not for us. Sadly, everyone is stuck with themselves and they are responsible for themselves.
0: <laughs> Indeed. As
1: much as I wish that were different some days, it is not, yeah. you know? So, yeah, I think most people that get into Chinese, it's pretty rare you see people getting into Chinese medicine because they're just trying to find like some random career path. Most people have a connection to it. They're pretty invested in it. You know, they're inspired by it. They love it, you know? And so I, I try to just give them whatever they need kind of help support them just go do it just you know just do it do it do it do it do it as much of it as you can let everybody who will let you treat them and it'll all fall into place and isn't it so true it like it falls into place and you you have these days where you're like oh my gosh i get it and then three days yeah. later you're right straight back you know it's like i don't get thing? it anymore <laughs> i don't get it anymore i had it for a second you know But I remember like probably five years that happened, 10 years that happened, you know, 15 years, maybe about every five years you're like, I think you just hit a new plateau and you just learn a little more and, you know, you only get more humble. I I think if you're continuing to do this for a long time and you're not becoming more humble, you're doing something wrong. Um, Because the system itself, I mean, just the human body itself is just such an extraordinary system, you know, that we barely are even beginning to understand and there's magic in that you know and that's your job on a daily basis is you get to work with these people in this sort of magical way and help people sort of inch their way a little bit closer to a version of themselves that you know that they really connect to and love and feel in their own skin and feel right in you know that's I mean it just doesn't get a whole lot better than that really to to my mind at least
0: it is so true it is so true well, thank you so much for joining me today, Sean. It has been an absolute pleasure.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm happy to do it, but it's really, this is a great, this is great. I'm, it's really nice to see you doing this and I'm honored to be a small part of it. I appreciate it. And I ah. wish you have a great afternoon or whatever time it is where you are right
0: now. Yeah. Oh, it's um, it's mid-morning for me and I'm about to launch into seeing patients. So, great.
1: Uh, well, I hope you have a great day. and. Yeah. Uh, and I hope I'll see you in um, November.
0: Yeah. So November, for those who are listening, um, if you're in Australia, Sean is coming to Melbourne in November to teach an advanced practical class um, covering the primary channels, sinews and lows. Um, so if you've done any online training with Sean, if you've been exposed to Jeffrey or Anne's teachings, it would be a great class for you to come to. And that's November 18 to 20 in Melbourne at the Australian Shiatsu College. And I'll pop the details on how to sign up for that below this episode, if you're wanting to check that out. I highly recommend anyone that is curious to learn more about the lows. If you're curious to learn more about any of Jeffrey or Anne's teachings, please get onto Sean's online mentorship classes they are just fabulous i believe that he's keeping recordings and you can catch up on the classes that you've missed out on and um it's just it's really quite fabulous so if you're looking for a way to reinvigorate your passion for Chinese medicine if you've been around for a while or if you're brand new and you want to get a head start on, um, on some awesome clinical approaches, then um, I highly recommend Sean's classes. Thank you so
1: much for saying that. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. And um, we'd love to hear your feedback on this episode. So feel free to uh, leave us a rating on iTunes or whatever platform it is that you're listening to us on. Jump onto our Facebook page and uh, and leave us some comments there. We love hearing from you and um, we hope you're doing well and stay tuned for the next episode. Bye for now.